let's just <laughs> go ahead. I agree. Yeah. So anyway, so this is so check out Charles and I just did an awesome Patreon exclusive show. It's both on my Patreon and Charles's. Um, so check those out if you have them. Um, otherwise, please, we Charles and I are both members of the Believers in the Value for Value Network. Um, so again, one dollar a month would get you that show. So that's twelve dollars a year. So we'll just start out with that. But anyways, two beers of Charles. Charles, you drinking anything today? Or are you you taking it easy these days? Uh, well, I already finished off a Hanalei Island IPA. (laughs) (laughs) And so by Kona Brewing Company here on the Big Island. So, um, and that's, um, it's a, it's a pretty good, a a light, a light IPA, you know, it's not, um, it's not real heavy or dense. And so, you know, even people that like might, you might shy away from an IPA as being a little, it might has be too bitter or, or powerful. No, no, it's, it's a very, it goes down real easy. And, and how about how about you? Well, I'd wanted <laughs> to drink a Wild Ohio tea beer so I could talk to you about this. It used to be Luna Hard Kombucha, and I think I wow. talked about it before. And then they ended up selling the company to Wild Ohio, and they changed it over to tea beer because apparently the SCOBY— this is what I heard. I don't know if it's 100%. This is what I heard through just going out and about and talking to um, people that actually enjoy the product. And they, they just basically said, well— the kegs were too volatile and were popping because of the SCOBY. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what somebody told me um, at like one of the, the, the growler spots that I go to. So um, I was going to get that. I was hoping to get the cherry bourbon. It's like 9% and it doesn't black cherry bourbon. It doesn't really taste it now. What I did notice is when it went away from Luna to Wild Ohio and they went away from the uh, hard kombucha, the quality... It's definitely not it's it's very inconsistent so it depends very much on the batch which uh i'm okay with i mean I, I think it'd be good for them to always get a consistent way but i think when you're trying to do something interesting like a hard tea beer or something like that you know you're going to run into problems like that um but it's very tart it's not very sweet there's only like six grams of sugar per can um but so instead what i'm drinking is moonshine and black coffee so i didn't have time as i said i had to run to a uh a restaurant in rush hour traffic to get them a crop because of the weather change. So I didn't have time to actually run to the store, but I did. I do have some some black coffee mixed with moonshine, a nice uh, nice homesteader uh, uh, hard coffee. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, you know, um, Drew, we've uh, as always, and this is one of the things we both value is we we always cover a lot of ground. And um, a lot of interesting topics in our conversations. And I think the way I would introduce whatever topic you you want to talk about first is what I find value here in our conversations is we're taking ideas, which are um, in the in the way that I write them in books, they're abstractions, right? They're, you know, they're an idea. They're floating out there um, as a meme. But then what you and I talk about is putting those ideas into practice. And of course, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? It's real easy for some academic to talk about, you know, um, enterprise and, um, you know, innovation and blah, blah. It's like a whole different game when you're actually trying to live it, make it happen. Because, um, and that's the exciting part, right? And I yeah. think the other, the other thing I would say just to kind of launch the conversation is what we're talking about is whatever makes you enthusiastic about getting up in the morning and going to work. Right. And when I listen to people that work for corporate America or or a government agency, 
I, I never, I personally, I can't say, I can't think of one person who expressed any enthusiasm for that, for getting up and going to their job, right? Instead, it's like, oh God, dreadful. They have a horrible commute. They got a um, uh, crazy making boss. They have a psychopath uh, supervisor, you know, on and on and on, right? Uh, everybody's lazy. They have to do all the work. Um, the, the list of, of really um, crushing, you know, soul crushing problems that these people have. It's like, I, I feel sorry for them. I know they're making tons of money, but it's like, ah, forget it. You know, where, where, what you and I are talking about is like being enthusiastic about something. It, and not that it's always a success. Sometimes we, you know, we, we, uh, we make a mistake and that's, that goes with the territory because there's no, there's no plan here. You know, we're, we're having to adapt and respond um, and be flexible. And so that's what makes it exciting. So run with that <laughs> to start with. Um, yeah, so this, this is kind of some ideas that, um, talking of resilience and, you know, I, last summer, my good buddy Hunter Motz came in town to Detroit and, uh, I drove up there cause we'd never met in person and I wanted to take him to some good, uh, Lebanese restaurants in Dearborn cause I knew enough about Detroit to kind of show him around like what I liked about Detroit. And so we go there, we go to a hookah bar, we get that. And then the next day we're having this conversation. I'm coming from this, this idea only of, well, if you want to make a difference, do it with business. And in my idea at the head was that's the only way you can do it. And, um, I don't think that is, I, I think that, you know, something you were saying, what gets you out of bed in the morning is, is, you know, running a business might not, but running a might nonprofit might. And I think that, the advantage of businesses and nonprofits, like they're all there for a reason. And, you know, some people, you know, Mark Shepard, I'm a big fan of Mark Shepard, or he calls them professional begging organizations, but nonprofits get certain privileges that businesses can't and won't. And so I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important to realize how to leverage both of them and to, to figure out what, what you're more comfortable with if you really want to make a difference, but also you don't need any organization to necessarily make a difference. You know, one thing I want to say that we haven't covered, like, you know, living where I live, having Rich moved in really kind of um, was inspiring in a lot of ways because Rich is, is very much driven by ideals. And I, you know, as we both know, I did my community garden and got slapped and punched in the face by the city, punched in the face by the community. Nobody wanted it here. Nobody really cared. And the, the real thing was is I needed to focus on my own land first before I focus on somebody else's. And so that was important. And so Rich came and Rich had this idea of, you know, we need to make what we're doing here beautiful. Like we need to make sure it's clean. We need to make sure it's cookie cutter. We need to make sure that the people, when people come here, there's no complaints. There's nothing, there's nothing smelly. Not everything looks good. And I think sometimes he goes a little carried away because, you know, the, the, for me, I'm like, well, let's let those flowers go. Let's let this go. That can wait. And uh, so, like, you know, so Rich is, like, very, he's, he's a lot more OCD, a lot more clean, and, and, I, and I actually really like it, and, it's, and I'm not like that by nature, so it's, like, part of the friction of us living together is <laughs> Rich having to deal with things that he considers messy or not necessarily things that I consider messy, and me having, instead of being, you know, a child and saying, well, screw you, blah, 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 just saying, oh, you know what, this makes Rich, this creates a lot of anxiety for Rich. So let's not let's not do that. So this is kind of rich. I mean, rich is works hard, no nonsense, East Coast work ethic, you know, just the Puritan work ethic, you know, is is rich. 
so Rich wants to to you know so one thing that Rich has been doing is is cleaning the alley, and man, it, you know he did this great job. He discovered that within the two alleys on our one street that um, I'm gonna say it's probably our street. It's maybe a mile from 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 the main from in between the major streets that our street goes through. Um, maybe a little bit less. Um, and so, uh, yeah, because when you do the alley loop, it's it's a mile and a half. So it's about a, a mile and a half area between the alleys. And Rich found 100 tires that people had just dumped in the alleys. And so it, it was kind of like, you know, so Rich kind of he, he kind of stacked them up. He found a city employee that was going to, to write citations, one of the multiple citations, because somebody complains that somebody's grass isn't cut or that there's an abandoned house, that grass hasn't been cut. So Rich asked them, and he says, you know, what do we do? You know, and it's, I'm cleaning up the alley. You know, I see all these tires. She goes, well, all the trash you can stack in front. You just call, you know, the city. And if you stack it in front of a house and you say where, the city will just come and pick up the trash. The tires, though, we don't do. And so it's kind of one of these weird things that, you know, their justification of it is, well, we already pick up this trash for free. But which is like kind of a BS thing because it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, then you come around and you spend money and you spray for mosquitoes and you kill all these other beneficial insects or the monarch butterflies or, you know, thankfully nobody sprays chemicals in the hood because it's so poor. So then we have a lot of pollinators that are around. So it's kind of this nice thing where then you go around and you spray because of mosquitoes. But if you just picked up these tires, there wouldn't be so many mosquitoes. And so... The point of what I'm saying is is that it's easy to get discouraged if you're trying to make a difference. It's easy to get discouraged when you get punched in the face because people that treat your streets where you live as a, as, a, as their own personal garbage dump, and then you don't like it, so you keep cleaning it. So, you know, one thing that we've noticed is people don't dump trash behind my house or the other three houses um, up until, like, the main s- segment where, like, a, a road cuts through like the roads in between like the two main ones because my street is on a grid, so there is a higher crime rate. Uh, but, um, you know, one thing that, it, you know, Rich planted all these beautiful edible and medicinal plants in the alleyway, and people stop dumping in front of our alley. People don't want to dump where, where things look beautiful. Like that's just some, something that they want to do. Maybe some people do because there are some scumbags. But in general, so the weird thing was is Rich went to go walk the dog the other day and somebody dumped it right behind our neighbor's garage because he keeps it stacked up with a lot of plants there because he doesn't want people to try to break into his garage like they did, you know, eight years ago or something. So, but Rich is, is slowly, we've enrolled our neighbors into letting us plant in the alley. So, but it just takes time. And so it's one of those things that, you know, this is like a passion project for us that doesn't pay us a lot of money, but ultimately like, you know, this is our block. Like, this is our, this is our street. Like, you know, it's one thing for me to run a business. It's one thing for me to say, you know, yeah, my yard looks beautiful. So that should be good enough. But at the same time, you know, it's just not realistic. Like, if you don't like that people are dumping trash in the street, maybe you should pick it up. And if people start seeing that there's no trash in the street, they're going to stop dumping in there. I mean, yeah, there's still going to be the scumbags. There's not going to be as many. So that's kind of it. Yeah. Those are some thoughts that I had there. I, that wasn't the initial path that I wanted to go down, Charles, but that's kind of where we went there. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's fascinating, and I've I've seen it um, 
myself, and I think all of us can can think back, either witnessing somebody else do something or uh, as you're doing, which I really applaud. And I, I totally agree. Like I, I always pick up the trash, you know, the sidewalk trash around my block, right? And um, sometimes people will stop and say, oh, well, thank you for doing that. You know, in other words, they recognize, well, this is why this half block is clean. Is there some some fool is out there picking up all the junk, you know? Um, but, and, and it, but if you let, um, a pile of, of garbage that somebody dumped there, stay there, then other people that are going to go, oh, well then that's the place I can dump all my broken furniture and stuff. So it's, um, it, there is a synergy there. And I noticed that when we painted our place, this was like 20 years ago, it's kind of a rundown neighborhood, you know, and not, uh, I, I, you know, the, most of us live in places that aren't picture perfect, right? Or many of us do. And within like six months, a bunch of the people uh, across the street and some other buildings, people painted at their place that it was looking pretty shabby. And so it's, um, it is interesting how beauty or aesthetics um, will influence people. We we're naturally drawn to beauty in the same way we're naturally drawn to um, making a difference or, or being part of a community where we're valued, you know, and I, and um, there's uh, I think there was a Congress person and from Nebraska that just came out with a book, um, and he's he was basically saying um, our biggest health uh, problem is loneliness, you know, and so uh, we're just not making the connections in the real world to other people, and I would say that's part of it, but it's also that you wanna you wanna be valued for what you do, and so um, just contributing to your community, maybe people don't communicate it directly, but the fact that is that people do value you, you know, you are making a difference and people respond to beauty and, and the uglier and more, um, abandoned, the the neighborhood, the more, uh, a little Island of beauty, uh, stands out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, so I have, I have some ideas. I would like to try to start a nonprofit to, we have some ideas. I don't want to totally make them public, but I think um, one thing that I decided I probably need to do, Charles, is I probably need to try to figure out how to get on Lyndon's board. So I think it's an elected position, but it's not like anything serious. But it kind of went with the idea of, you know, I've been learning all this stuff about real estate and, you know, I wanted to make sure I, I, I so basically I own land in Linden. It's in my best interest to to care about it. And one thing I learned, I I met this guy Bill Cook, and uh, that's it's already you know that it's going to come out shortly after I post this episode. And Bill got all of his real estate um, by just walking. He called it his five mile. I think it was his. He he he'd only own land and only do business within five miles of where he lived. And so and he did. He got all of his. He got everything from door to door, and he would basically leverage his. Um, you know, he'd leverage his self-directed Roth IRA to get options, an option to buy someone's house. And one thing he would do is, you know, we, when we went door knocking with him, one thing he said, um, we, we, we were in some random neighborhood in Cincinnati. And this is and, I, and, and I'm going to tie it back together. And so this guy needed uh, needed new gutters. And he said, yeah, I'd like to actually sell my house. I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed. I can't really afford. I need to fix gutters. And he said, what's an opportunity right here, guys? He could fix his gutters with your self-directed IRA money to have an option to buy his house. And so you get the first option to buy his house, and basically you fix that for him. This is in your neighborhood. This is in your five-mile circle. 
You know, this is something that, and, and, and I don't think people really got what he was saying. I mean, number one, there is a vested interest to do it because you have an option to buy the house. Um, but also, too, like, you know, this is in your neighborhood. Like, you, you, if you're owning property or you want to own property somewhere, you should want it to look nice. I mean, that it's kind of the idea of what it, what it means to be a landlord or what it means to, to own real estate is having some skin in the game. I think, you know, having skin in the game makes you pay attention more. I didn't really understand cryptocurrency till I bought some. And I didn't really understand what it meant to, to be, to, to care about your community until I bought land. Like I had an idea, but then I actually owned land and I had a vested interest in there because that gave me more skin in the game. So I think ultimately, um, I need to figure out how to, to maybe position myself to get on a board because I think, you know, even if it's on a small level of government, you know, as much as, as much as I don't like government, it's not going away. So I might as well get involved and try to make a difference. Not saying, you know, give up everything to try to make the change from within. No, like it takes business, it takes nonprofits, and it does take some people that are that are conscious enough in government to work together to actually make a difference and flip a community. Yeah, you're you're so right. And um you know, one of the things I've been thinking about recently myself is how it, the status quo, you know, the normal way of doing things and thinking about our society and economy is there's the market and it's the marketplace, right? There's for-profit companies and they do stuff in order to make a profit or increase their profit. And then there's the state, the government, right? And then the government handles what the government does. And um, what, what, uh, what you're talking about here is kind of the same thing that I was trying to address in my book about the CLIMB system. And CLIMB stands for Community Labor Integrated Money Economy. And that mouthful simply means... What about all the stuff that needs to get done that has value to the community but isn't profitable? And if it's not profitable, then Google's not going to come in and do it. So then it just sits there undone, right? And then the state's not going to do it because they got lobbyists. You know, there's like all these lobbyists and all these people advocating that for something or other that the state should spend money on. And so that's kind of like a dead end too. You, you know, you, it's really hard to get the state to really – do the whole thing. And usually um, it, it often fails because the state's really not good at doing more than a few things. So what you're talking about is getting in between those two things. In other words, you know, working with market forces, you know, like the options um, on, 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 on housing. Um, and then you're working with the government, you know, like at least to get permission from the government and maybe a few bucks or some some government um, infrastructure or something, right? In other words, there's lots of ways to work with both the market and the government. If, as you say, you can find people who share your incentive, you know. And so, what we're talking about here is synergies. And um, and and in terms of nonprofits, and I have worked in the nonprofit sector a lot too. It's like ideally, it's a really bare bones organization. You know, maybe not even a paid staff, right? Maybe it's just like mostly volunteers. And it, they come together and get a bunch of work done that has great value, but it was not profitable for some corporation to do. And that's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I, you couldn't have said it better. Yeah. I think that the climb, I think too, I, I want to take that in another direction too, because I think it's, um, the idea 
of climb. And one thing you'd said was you're you're kind of nervous. You're, you, I think you said you're nervous because these are just ideas. But I think that it's you know trying to put those ideas into action is it's okay if if all your ideas didn't add up if it got enough people in line to go and try to make a difference. And because it, you know we were talking about before you like to be resilient, you need other people. Um, so I, I think the idea of climb is great because it's 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 everyone trying to work with each other and it's it's co it's collaboration, it's it's interdependence, and I think that's that's a model that we need to work on. I think the weird thing with the United States is we're so independent. Like I think um, independence and individuality is kind of the real religion of our culture here in the United States. But it's not individuality that's important. Like, yeah, you want to be you want to be your own person amongst many, but you you still have to work with the many, and and it's easy to get lost in that path. I think it's easy to just kind of remove yourself from society, because yeah, there's a lot of ugly things in the world. But you know, it, light you just need more light to to shed away to to push away the darkness. I mean, just keep spreading light. I mean, not not to be too metaphysical or anything but you know an idea for me i think when it comes to and I, I was talking to my friend shane about this a little bit on a show was you know creating a co-op like if i do grow this business um to be outside my home like and it moves it into a warehouse i don't want to be the only one renting that warehouse i want it to be a multifunctional area because i think it's it's a lot easier for us to to come together and pay the bills than it is just for one person i mean my business doesn't me expanding my business isn't going to warrant a whole warehouse space. Um, but if I could move my business to a warehouse and make it become a part of the culture within that warehouse, if let's say it's a public place where people can drink beer and maybe there's a butcher shop or maybe, you know, much like that area that I talked about a long time ago when I went to uh, Winter Garden in Florida for the, to that brewery and it was like a multifunctional area, um, you know, I, I, that's something I'd like to be a part of. Um, that's something that I that I could get behind. And I think you know, working, looking at instead of how can I make a difference, but how can I work with others to inspire them so it doesn't take as much work from me? I think, you know, trying to go the lazy way with that idea is, is kind of the right way to do it. Um, I hope that that was cohesive with what you were saying, Charles. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> I And I think that, um, again, what we're talking about is um, – engaging or creating some synergy, right? Where everybody's work contributes to something that everybody shares. It doesn't mean that you can't, that you're not benefiting personally from like running a business in this multi-use uh, community that you're talking about, but, but some of your work and some of the value you're creating benefits everybody. And that's what's sort of lacking. And, and that's what I would, how I would describe what you said about a culture that just worships individuality and consumerism, like, you know, you, your individuality is defined by what you buy, what you, um, what you wear, what you drive, all that stuff. Right. Um, that, that's how we've had, that's how we'd have a culture that's broken, you know, a, a culture of loneliness and depression and, and addiction. And, um, uh, there's a, there's a book by some congressperson uh, that, that just came out. I forget the title, but it was basically saying that the biggest public health, um, issue in the U.S. is loneliness because loneliness drives obesity, um, mental illness, um, addiction, depression. All, all these things f uh, stem from a lack of meaningful social 
contact. And, um, you know, you, you said something that I think is worth talking about um, earlier, which was if you want to change the world, um, enterprise or business is, is the way to do it. And, and there's some um, you went on to say that there's definitely a role for government and nonprofit. But I think the what I heard that I want to speak to a little bit is there's two big things about business. One is it creates an incentive structure that everybody's part of. In other words, your customers are part of this incentive and your, uh, your, your colleagues, your coworkers, um, your employees, if you have them, everybody's focused on, on the same set of incentives. Like we're going to create a product that everybody's going to like, and, um, the customers are going to come back and they're going to tell their friends and, you know, then the second thing is it's self-funded because that's the thing about nonprofits is it's the begging bowl gets really tiresome and there's so much competition for foundation money and government grants and all that stuff. So the nice thing about a business or a, this multi-use, like a synergistic community of businesses is it's self-funded. You don't have to go and wonder, gosh, I, who am I going to borrow money from or, or beg money from to pay the rent your rent's covered by your enterprise right so then you have the the uh, the leisure if you will a little bit of time to focus on creating value outside of your own enterprise but being self-funded is huge right i mean if you don't have to beg borrow and steal to pay the rent then then you're you're free you know what i mean you're yeah free it's, it's easier to be creative i think um i think yeah i, I think there there so many levels. I think, um, you know, when I think about that, you know, it feels a lot better this time around. It's not, oh, man, we're going to come up with the money to pay for this to expand. It's like, well, I got to wait on that money. <laughs> like It's like the money's there. I'm just waiting. It's either growing in dirt and it needs delivered or I'm waiting on checks from when I already delivered that that money that was growing in dirt. And it's it's a good feeling. Like, sure, I'm not. I'm not making as much money as I was at Time Warner or Verizon or any other place I was working or sure it was nice delivering pizza and having that extra money, but my business grew a lot faster when all my all my energy and all my focus was on my business. So it, when I didn't have to worry about going to the pizza shop to pay my bills, um, you know, and then have to be there. Not that I not that I dislike the opportunity. I'm good friends with the owner, I've had him on the show. But, you know, I think with the business, creating something that funds itself and putting yourself in a position to, to really give yourself the time to think, to, to, to dictate your own time, to make decisions, to, to, to have your, your actions or your interactions with other people be voluntary on a daily basis, um, it's, it's a powerful feeling. I mean, sure, I meet strangers when I go out, but man, it's a lot easier to deal with strangers when, you know, I'm choosing to go out and I know I'm going to meet strangers. So it's a lot more fun than, oh man, I have to work next to Terry. Terry just is going to complain or Terry's going to talk my ear off about what he heard on ESPN radio. And God, I don't <laughs> care about sports. You know what I mean? And that's, and so then you, you just have to, then you have to worry, oh man, my boss had a bad day. Oh, him and his wife must be fighting. Oh, his kid got in trouble. Oh man, I'm gonna have to deal with this now. I don't have to deal with any of that. The nice thing is if somebody like usually when I go into a restaurant, people are happy. Or when I go to the farmers market, people are happy. So when I do deal with them, it's one thing. Now if 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 they confide in me something, like, you know, if one of my it's not the farmers market just wants to talk to me and tell me about what they're struggling with and that means I'm doing something right cuz they trust me. They you know, they want my opinion. 
So it's it's just a matter of perspective. Well, it's even more than that, I think. Um, and uh, what we're really, I mean, think about how much value you have in life because of all these uh, connections you have, your network. And like you said, people trust you. And, and we spoke in our previous show um, about trust is a form of a really valuable part of social capital, right? Because when you trust somebody, it's, it's, it's worth more than gold, right? Because trust is what is difficult. You can't buy trust any more than you can buy love, right? So it, it's got to be earned. And then, but then it creates meaning, you know, and, and when you look at the number of Americans who are suffering from addiction and depression, and, and these are of course related, right? They're pain, you know, self pain management and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, they just, they, they're lacking, um, the value that you're, uh, that you're creating in, in your own life with all the people, you know, and that the people that you're helping with their business, right. And they're helping you with yours. It's like, um, the, the, the key word here in my mind is, you know, trust and, and, and also value, you know, like there's value that you can't, uh, you can't measure in money and our, our, uh, uh, the American way is to measure everything in money, but you know what? There's lots of things in life, a lot of kinds of value that you can't really reduce to some sort of money. You know, there's like, there's a, like we're, we were talking about aesthetic value, beauty, um, having, you know, a wild preserve of nature nearby or, or, um, uh, some parks, you know, that are actually attractive in your hometown. I mean, there's lots of things that have tremendous value, but you can't really, if you try to put a monetary value on them, you really have lost the whole concept of what value is. Yeah. I think, um, you know, some things that you, you've described a lot and it's, um, it's one thing cause I, it's hard to argue with somebody, about capitalism just because the words kind of been changed from what it's its original meaning probably was and i think to me you know capitalism and a lot of people don't think the barter system is a part of capitalism and um or you know i remember one episode you were talking about the way credit was originally introduced it was within a, a, a local economy and i think you know getting back to i so sometimes instead of talking about it and trying to say you know, one thing that I realized, Charles, was um, going out in the world. Um, okay, here's something. So issue one is coming out. And I kind of want to plug this because I think it's important. Like, I, I kind of gave up on voting because I thought it was silly. And I'm just like, none of these, I don't I don't agree with any of these people, blah, blah, blah. But issue one's coming out. And this is something I, I, I do agree with. It's going to essentially decriminalize all drugs. And it's going to redirect money from prisons and police departments and put it into actually rehab facilities so obviously the police and prison unions are against it and everyone's speaking against it but it's actually polling really well and i'm worried that you know it's it's not true but i, I have a good i have a feeling that this is this is kind of like you know i don't like to use the word moral but it really lines up with my ethics and values it's pretty unethical to to, to lock somebody in jail because their way of dealing with society is using drugs and and I think it's you know these people need redirected these people need need coping mechanisms there's usually mental illness involved and so this takes all that into account and while I was I went to this meeting for it a friend of mine through my loose network invited me out and I was like you know what I want to I want to give attention this person supports my business so I want to support her so this is something that she's passionate about and her and I based on words that I used, kind of got into this heated thing and words she was using, 
we started feeling this tension. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm getting triggered by the way she's using the word capitalism and Western culture and all this stuff. And she's getting triggered based on the way I was talking about certain things. I'm like, so, but we really want the same thing. It's just how we came to those conclusions were different paths. And in those paths, those two parties, dimension A and dimension B, use different words. And so these words are triggering each other when in reality, most people just want the same thing. And it was kind of like this kind of aha moment that I had. And um, so, you know, what I'm kind of getting at is that, you know, going out in the world, be kind of be aware of this. Like, you know, I, I kind of got lost in that. I'm sorry, Charles. I wanted to tell this story and talk about issue one. And I forgot what you just said that maybe went that to tie it together. Um, but I, I think it's important that, you know, in today's times, like it is so divisive and everybody is kind of like there's these different self-rewarding spirals one and they're both kind of victim minded based like it's in it's um and and they can't even see that they're both going on like you know in the when i look at like the the, the republican side i see like oh we're victims for this reason then you look on the liberal side we're angry we're victims for this reason they both sit in front of groups of people that just cheer them on and encourage this behavior but they're going, it's like, but they're, they're not realizing that, Hey, you know, we can coexist. Like we don't, it's, it's, and so it's, it's one of these things for me that it's like, you know, get out in your community, get out there. So the word, Oh, this is where it was. The word capitalism might mean corporatism to one person. And what I think is capitalism means something totally different to them. You know, don't get caught up in the words and, and try to look at what's going on with their actions. Try to see what they're meaning and, you know, the actual words we use are only 10% of our communication. So be aware of, of somebody's body language. Be aware of their voice inflection and, and try to meet them where they are. And if you don't understand, even though if it's a word you think you understand, ask them to define that word. So what do you mean by capitalism? What do you mean by this? What do you mean by, by patriarchy or whatever? You know, don't, don't just say, oh, you clearly disagree with me. It's time to go to war. Um, so that's that's something I kind of want to say, which might be controversial in today's times, that you should really try to get along with others or listen to what people have to say. But man, if we just listen to one another, the world would be so much so much of a better place. Like listening skills, I don't hear them. Actually listen to them. Try to understand what they're saying. Align with them. You don't have to agree with them, but just understand their perspective and maybe why they think that way. Maybe that's the direction they're coming from. And you're going to get a lot more done in life. Um, so I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox now, Charles. And I don't know if you want to wrap it up. We're at 35 minutes. I don't know how long we wanted to take this one. No, I think um, I think you've introduced a very big topic. And let's let's go ahead and um, and delve into it within the context that we've been talking about of of um, an atomized uh, culture of 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 individuals who are profoundly lonely and lacking in meaning, right? Their, their work is so-called bullshit work, um, which is David Graeber's new book, right? Bullshit work, where everybody that. knows, everybody knows the work is, if that job went away, the, the world wouldn't be uh, deprived of anything. <laughs> and, and so, you know, they're, so people are deprived of meaning at work. Um, they've lost the social connections that, that um, actually add value to their lives. And so, 
Um, a lot of people are starting to talk about this, so let me try to summarize. It's not like unique to me. I'm not saying I invented it. It's more like I'm just summarizing what other people have kind of come up with that makes sense to me, which is the typical American lacks real positive, meaningful social contacts, right? And, and um, they're, they're not really in groups that, in which they feel needed and valued. So they turn to social media as a second best but that is a different kind of group. It's a different kind of tribe. In a, in a real-world tribe, like if you live in a, in a really tight-knit community or you're in an, uh, a, like a, an armed forces unit, right, or you're on a couple-week camping trip with a bunch of people that you never met before, in those kinds of real-world communities, you need each other. And so, you know, these kinds of, of arbitrary and kind of false uh, divisions, which um, – are the lifeblood of social media, you just like let go of that. You don't really care if the person's like a practicing Catholic or a, a Muslim or whatever, because you need that person to like um, carry their weight and and you'd rather interact where there's something positive because you're, you're trapped together, right? You're in the same place. And so, and you have to show a little respect if you want to get some respect. Where social media, as you describe, it's all the um, the opposite of those effects. You you get rewarded for being the most extreme and vile and um, hateful, and then um, and then you get to feel virtuous, right? Virtue virtue signaling, right? Like, well, if I go beat up on somebody else and and express my outrage, then I I get to feel more virtuous than somebody else. Punch up, but- Charles. Just punch up. Don't punch down. <laughs> <laughs> and so nonsense. Yeah. And so what, what, but you know, we, we were talking about picking up the trash in our previous program uh, in your own neighborhood. You want to get virtuous, go pick up a bunch of, uh, of garbage that people have tossed, you know, or plant some flowers to beautify your, your neighborhood, um, give away stuff, uh, that you don't need anymore to your neighbors or whatever. It, it's like when you're in that kind of community, then you you really don't want to get into that. You don't get any value out of out of divisiveness and trying to find something that um, somebody else thinks or the words they use. You know, because you actually have to give them some slack because you got to live with them, and you might as well make that a positive experience. And so we've lost that in social media. The social media tribe has all the the worst elements of human nature. It rewards and incentivizes the worst sort of human traits. And that's why it's so, um, the divisiveness that you speak about, it's, it's, um, it's self-reinforcing because of the nature of social media as opposed to the real world communities in which we inhabit. Yeah, and also it's, uh, it's making people addicted to dopamine. I mean, it's like every time you get that alert or every time it's that weird, somehow reward system once again. I mean, I think it kind of started with video games and then the video games and I'm, I like video games and I like social media. If it wasn't for social media, Charles and I wouldn't be friends. So there's an appropriate way to use it and there's an inappropriate way to use it. And I think I get sucked in. Like I like to troll or I like to to, to get a good laugh in. But then, you know, it's just like the funny is gone on social media. Like I posted some satirical sign and people thought like, oh, what a stupid argument. I can't believe this idiot. I'm like, you know, this is satire. Like, you know, this is a joke. <laughs> like, this isn't real. This is satire, and we should be okay with this. And, um, and you know, and I, I just think meetups need to happen. I mean, one thing that we do, uh, I've met 
three people that um, independently found me from your blog and then a, a fourth who happened to read your blog. And then he, it was before it was when um, he found me through another podcast. And then we realized we had this huge Venn diagram of interests. And, uh, and now like, you know, so it's, it, you know, I've, I've met with four of those people and I tell you what, man, it's, it's been super rewarding or even from, um, mixed mental arts show or school sucks. My, my good buddy, Brett Finotz, or even Jack Spearco's show. Um, it's been very rewarding. I think, you know, I, if if you do have these communities, go and meet people in person. But it's <laughs> it's a lot easier to act vile towards another human being. And then if you do online, it makes you question why you did it. And it makes this thought go off like, well, hold on. Let's just talk on the phone. This is dumb. And and you know, and I've been there. I've been there recently and it's it's caused a lot of problems for me, even in my own Facebook group. And it's like this is dumb. Like, you know, we don't have to see eye to eye on things. We don't have to agree, but you know, look, let's let's try to treat people with respect. I mean, I, you know, one thing I kind of encourage it because I'm okay with trolling, and then sometimes people take trolling too far, and then people get it personal, and then it's like, you know, all the time I used to spend on trolling, maybe if I just took that trolling and applied it properly, like maybe I could troll with business. Like maybe I could troll with, hey, you know what? I'm a troll to a lot of different businesses that are larger scale than me and sell the same product because I can sell it at a lower price and it's a way higher quality kind of trolling those businesses. So I think it's like the idea of you can live in that spirit, but just do it in a, in a productive way. And I still appreciate a good, you know, I I mean, I, I appreciate a good troll for some reason. I think that's just kind of my nature, but I think at the same time, you know, it, is it really productive to just try to upset someone on social media? Not really. I mean, maybe it's funny. Maybe sometimes people deserve it, but who am I to judge? I mean, it's it's a dangerous thing. You know, Wendell Berry talked about writing, walking the self-righteous path, and now it's not how dangerous it is. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I agree. Like, it's it's dangerous to go on there and, and say, you know, feel good or, or go after social justice and everything else like that or feel good because you took down a social justice warrior when in reality, like, is that really making this world a better place? Is that really lined up with your goals? And I don't think it is. No, I think you're right. And and um, I do want to say you're right. There There is an appropriate place. And I have made, um, I mean, I have like a semi-global network of contacts um, or people that have written me about something I've written. And, you know, it's always kind of interesting to see who, who, who comes across your stuff or who listens to your podcast. And so it is very enriching. Yeah. Um, if it's If it's done in the right spirit. And, um, and that's really what we're talking about. And, um, so, and of course you and I, we're trying to live that too. In other words, we have our, our real world networks of friends and associates and colleagues, and we have these networks, um, that are online, you know, social media networks. And, um, we're trying to show in both of those worlds that, um, you can do this in a way that's productive for everybody. And we're sharing the same set of incentives and, we're creating value for everybody that's participating. And that's the difference between what we're trying to do and other people are trying to do and what um, has now become the norm in social media. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also effective trolling is when Charles got his audience to write nasty emails to, or not at nasty, but thoughtful 
but uh, confrontational emails to banks and governments when they're trying to take money and property away from people illegally. And, uh, and you've, we've talked about this on your show. I mean, I, I thought about it. I mean, I know, I know I got, I got a loaded gun of Charles's network ready. If somebody comes after me <laughs> and I'm going to say, yo, Charles, I need you to start sending these people, sick them, sick them on these people right now. They're, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's what, that's what, that's what journalism, that's what journalists are supposed to do. And instead now it's, it's about spreading propaganda and everything else like that. So when you come and you, you experience a value for value, uh, sell independent media network, much like the sample hour of, of two minds.com. Feel free to follow us and support us on Patreon or through PayPal. Charles offers musings and he also has a Patreon exclusive content. I have uh, Patreon exclusive episodes and I'm trying to figure out more ways to provide more value on my private network as well. Um, also Charles just wrote two new books and support him. He wrote a novel and he has another book too. I got to get on both of them. Um, I'm excited to uh, to read those. It's been a while. Looking forward. Hopefully, hopefully you'll have some audience members of yours want to work with you to create audio books like your previous books because I've enjoyed those as well. So, uh, but anyways, Charles, is there anything else? I I kind of started wrapping it up again because I knew it was 45 minutes. And I figured that was a good way to do it. So, Charles, is there any other way you anything else you'd like to add? No, just uh, my latest book that um, is being uh, recorded in, in, uh, as I speak, or it might be out in a month or so, um, Money and Work Unchained. Um, there's a free sample of, you know, uh, of the text. The first couple chapters are free on my, on my website, of2minds.com. And uh, tune in next time because um, we, uh, Drew and I, have a lot of other uh, topics we want to discuss of, uh, that are uh, super uh, – important in, in the world we live in like resilience and uh, fixed yeah, that's, costs that's what we wanted synergy. to talk about today that was what we wanted to talk about today and we <laughs> that's okay we're going to do it next time so so to, so look for our next show and we're going to hit on a lot of important things about the community economy and the economy we're we're going into absolutely um charles thanks again for for joining me as usual everyone in the audience thanks again for listening looking forward to bringing you guys more content again here soon